You're listening to the Open Podcasts. Ladies go. and gentlemen, this is the final game of the afternoon on from Scotland. Colin Montgomery. I mean, I'm not getting picky here, don't get me wrong, but if I was ever to win a major in my next life, uh, it, would be, it would be the Open. The Open would be number one and always would be. When Colin Montgomery last played in the Open in 2016 at the age of 53, it marked 30 years nearly to the day from the moment he realised he was going to become a golf professional. In that time... The man known affectionately as Monty made 22 appearances in golf's original major and became arguably the most successful golfer in European Tour and Ryder Cup history. It's a beautiful part. (laughs) While a major championship eluded Monty in his career, there is no doubt that the pride of Scotland gave fans in the Open some very special moments indeed. Moments, he hopes... He can still create. Why not try it again? Which would be 30-odd years now since I tried to qualify for the first time to try and do it again. I might well do it. I might well try it when it comes back to Dandry's in, what, 2022 now, when I'm 59. I might just try it once more, once more. Just keep that quiet. <laughs> this is Tales of the Open. This is the story of Colin Montgomery. Montgomery was born in Glasgow in 1963 and, quite rarely for modern-day elite professionals, grew up on an Open Championship golf course at Troon. I got into the the game of golf through through one's family, I suppose, as most children do. Uh, My father was a keen amateur player and he started, uh, my mother, my brother and myself, uh, we all started together at the children's course at Troon. And I remember hitting my first shot. Uh, that was around about six, six years old. And uh, was found at a very early age that I could hit it. I could have, there was a talent there. There was something there that was a challenge for me. And I enjoyed that challenge of trying to get the ball in the air or trying to hit it into the hole or trying to do something. I, I really, as a six-year-old, I really enjoyed that. And I hate to say I still do, but it was, it, it was those early challenges that, that, that got me into the game more than anything. After taking up the game at a young age quite casually, Montgomery first experienced the furore of the Open Championship at his home club in 1973. There was a very good chance when we arrived here at Troon this morning for the final day of the Open Championship that we might see golfing history made. The Open Championship, uh, my earliest memory, well, my first Open was at Royal Troon. Well, it was Troon Golf Club at the time. It became Royal Troon in 1982. But at the time, it was Troon and 1973, so I was 10 years old. And uh, I remember walking from the house. It was about 120 yards from the first tee where we used to live. And uh, walking along and watching the Open Championship uh, when I was 10. So that was 1973 at Troon. And of course, that was Tom Weisskopf's uh, victory there. So here's the end of the Open. Well done, everybody. Daddy gets it in. 276. And Tom Weisskopf from the United States is the Open champion. The weather was terrible, but that's a Scottish summer for you. And that was my first memory of the Open Championship. Not thinking about, oh, I want to, my God, I want to play there or something. I was just a boy of 10 years old with his, with his parents walking around, w- walking around, watching golf. I mean, I didn't know who Tom Weisskopf was. I had no idea who, who, who anybody was at the time. Monty was a very late developer in golf. And after moving to Yorkshire with his family, played infrequently each year. Though golf slowly became more prominent in his life, it did so in tandem with selling biscuits. Well, I was a late developer. I was away at boarding school from 11 years old, Strathallan School uh, in Perthshire. And of course, that really uh, 
didn't didn't encourage individual sport it encouraged team participation so there was no golf really in the curriculum uh so i didn't really pl- i played in the summer months and got my handicap down sort of thing but i wasn't playing during the year i was only playing what that summer holidays the eight weeks of summer holidays really and uh i wasn't really much interested in 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 the game at that stage as a as a profession obviously i was just i was just playing it to get my handicap down thinking i could enjoy it as a as a social asset which of course it is in a business sense really uh, eventually you know at, uh, at 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 18 years old having left school having got my a levels and, and and wondering what to do as we all did or or still do you know got my own children thinking about that now and at 18 years old, what the hell am I going to do here, you know? So I was, I was reasonable at golf. I was off three handicap or something. Without putting too much of a slant on it, my, my level results were okay, but not, not to get me into the universities that I wanted to get to here in Britain. So I, uh, I worked in the winter for my father, who was, who was her director of Fox's Biscuits at the time in Batley in West Yorkshire. That's, that's where we, we lived in Ilkley in West Yorkshire. So for six months, I worked as a, as a rep selling biscuits in the north of Yorkshire, uh, crashing the odd Ford Escort car. And, 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 and then in the summer, I was given two years to get my handicap down. So, so what happened in, in the winters, 18, 19 years old, I, uh, I worked for my father in the, in the winter and I played golf in the summer and got my handicap down to plus three by the time I was 20 and therefore managed to get myself into an American university, Houston Baptist University. And I could play there suddenly all the year round. I went to school eight o'clock until one o'clock. And then from one o'clock to six, I played golf uh, every day. And I learned how to play the game. Uh, There's Colin. A few of those, Colin. It'll do you a treat. While still attending Houston Baptist University, and without professional golf in his mind at all, Montgomery's eureka moment came in 1986 at Turnbury, just one day after Greg Norman shot an even par total to win the 115th Open by five strokes. It proved to be the day that changed Montgomery's life. I was thinking what to do. What am I going to do with myself? I'm obviously not quite good enough to play this game professionally still, but... I've got my degree now, I'm getting my degree now from university, what can I do? So in 1986, midway through my university, in my third year, because I, I graduated in 87, uh, the Open was at Turnbury. Greg Norman had just won the Open. Yes, well done. He's done it at last. Greg Norman, 69. And great stuff. The champion for 1986. Let's have a look at the leaderboard. Greg Norman... The end winning by five strokes. 69 today, 280, which is exactly level par. It really feels great. Uh, you know, I, was, I played well today. I came out with determination not to let anybody have a chance to win the golf tournament except me and, um, and not to let Turnbury get the better of me. I've, you, know, you read a lot in the paper about how difficult the golf course is, and I've even said at the beginning of the week, but uh, I just want, I really wanted to break par around here just to show the RNA that they don't set up the golf course so difficult. <laughs> And on the Monday after the Open, I was invited as a job interview to play the bat nine with Peter German and the president of IMG in, in uh, Europe at the time, Ian Todd. And never forget, this was my job interview. And I thought the job interview, I thought was going to be like, could I do a marketing, because that was my degree, a marketing sort of idea for the likes of Nick Price. Greg Norman, who just won the Open, uh, Nicholas uh, Player Palmer. Those type of players that I could possibly uh, manage, be an agent for in America, say, with my American degree. So on I go. So I drove my mother's car, I didn't have a car, so I drove my mother's car up to the lighthouse at Turnbury, as as we know, and played the back nine and waited for them to play the ninth. Now, this was a job interview, so you know yourself in job interviews. You watch your P's and Q's, you watch what you're saying. I had certain things to say and certain questions and, you know, and they were asking me questions and all sorts of things. It was going okay. Talking about IMG and talking about Norman's victory, who just, you know, the day before and all this sort of stuff. And I wasn't concentrating at 
all on what I was doing. I wasn't concentrating one iota about my golf game. I was just trying to get a job. Anyway, I think I hold a long putt at the last to come back in 29. Seven under par, you see. I think I'd hold a bunker shot at one stage and I hold this long putt and I know 29 came back in seven under. And they turned to one another at, on the green and they said, well, you're not going to work for us. We're going to work for you. And it changed my life. And this, that two hours, that back nine, changed my life. I went home to an ultra-conservative sort of Scottish family in that professional golf wasn't really the scene. And I said, Dad, uh, Mum, uh, these guys think I can do this. These guys think I can play this game. And it gave me a second opinion. And we all like a second opinion. Uh, the first opinion was I could try it. The second opinion was I, I can do this. So cut long story short, got my degree next year in, in 1987. I played the Walker Cup at Sunnydale 87. And then I turned pro and in time for the tour school, got my card and IMG managed me for, for the 30 years of my career. Amazing, really. And as I said, I don't think I'd be talking to you today if it wasn't for that particular two hours of golf. After graduating in 1987, Monty turned professional and gained his European tour card for 1988. He still, however, gave himself an ultimatum for achieving success. I had to prove myself. One, I'd turned pro because of what they said, and now I had to prove myself. I had to win. In my view, I had to win. And uh, my first year was 88. I didn't win in 88, but I did win in the back end of 89. And that was within my two-year cycle. I won the Portuguese Open, which was the TPC in, in October 89. And uh, as you say there, the rest is history. But I had to, I had to win. I had to win. And uh, to, prove, to prove to myself more than anything. In 1990, Montgomery qualified for his first Open Championship held at St Andrews. And the experience proved to be unforgettable. Well, obviously, in those days, you know, I had, uh, in, in 1990, I had to qualify. I wasn't, I wasn't exempt. Uh, although having won on the tour, I think, gives you some sort of exemption now. But it didn't at the, in those days. I had to go to the final qualifying, which was London Links. And uh, I remember shot, I think I was, I was poor the first round, 71. And then I think I shot 66 and, and made it. And I hated that last hole at London Links. There was a, there's an out of bounds on the left. And of course, with my fade, which was really a slice in those days, I hate to say. Again, nearly everything he shapes from left to right with a slight fade. That's his natural shot and he relies on it. It's a long, willowy sort of swing, but he's got the rhythm very under control, lets the club head do the work. It was a little more, a little more than a fade. It was a, it was a big left to right slice. And of course, I had to aim slightly out of bounds to get this thing back on. And uh, anyway, managed it and, uh, and qualified for the Open. And was given, because I was a so-called winner on the European Tour by then, I was given a good draw. I was given Tim Simpson, if you remember a name, Tim Simpson, who was in the top 10 in the world at the time, and Lee Trevino. It's the 2.15 time, which is Lee Trevino, Colin Montgomery and Tim Simpson. This is game number 40 on the tee, Colin Montgomery. Wastes very little time. On the tee, Lee Trevino. Now the man who's won over $500,000 on the senior tour this year. Doesn't waste any time either. Now it's one of Lee Trevino's last opens. And... Uh, he made it count. He never, he never shut up, you know. And and, and you, you talk about Lee Trevino. God, what a what a talent and, and what a guy to play the first two rounds of the Open with. Uh, but my God, it wasn't easy. You had to you had to put blinkers and 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 uh, ear earmuffs on, you know, uh, uh, not to hear nor see him. Uh, it was hard work because everything was everything was talked through, but. I mean, as a talent, my God, you know, to play your first home with Lee Trevino, I'll never forget it. And made the cut. And uh, obviously at St Andrews is, is, is a fabulous, you know, I mean, it's, it's the home. And uh, to make the cut there and to walk up the 18th as a, as a new boy, first open, uh, yeah, it was OK. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. 
has become a remarkably successful player, largely through his consistency. In the 90s, Monty began an assault on the European Tour record books, claiming seven consecutive European Order of Merit titles, beating Seve Ballesteros' total record of six. It was Montgomery's competitive spirit that drove him on after the first of those seven in 1994, with some inspiration coming from Seve himself. I think it was, the, it was the hatred of losing more than it was the joy of winning in my career. I finished in Europe, I think I was up to 30, 30 second places. And I hated every one of them. I'd rather finish 21st than I would second. Because second, there's a reason. Well, yes, second's good, but why didn't you win? You know, why did you not go forward with it? Okay, you know, the, the, the 30 odd wins is great, but the 30 odd seconds was, that, that hurt me more than anything. And uh, so I, it was the hatred of losing. And that's why the singles record in the, in the Ryder Cup was, you know, I'm very proud of in the fact that I didn't want to lose. And then once I'd won that first Order of Merit uh, in 93, I remember, I never forget it, I played with Seve the last day. And uh, at Valderrama, we used to play at Valderrama, the Volvo Masters, it was it was known as. And uh, played with him the last day, we were last off. And I remember finishing and I'd won. And he said to me, he turned around and said to me, he says, well, that's that's just on loan, he says, as he shook my hand, Seve. And i never forget it. And God rest him. But it was, it was a challenge to me. You know, it goes back to that six-year-old trying to get the ball in the hole, you know. Was that challenge to me? Right. Uh... It's on loan, right? You, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give this up. Uh, you might think it's on loan. I think, I think I can do this again. You know, and it, and it gave me an incentive to go forward with it. And as you say, it was a sort of almost a conveyor belt that I didn't really get off. I just kept going. It was one of these ones that, that you know, these conveyor belts end and you get off for a little bit and then you get on it again. Well, I mine didn't end. It just kept going to the end of the terminal building, out the other end. And I'm proud of the fact that knowing that to stay in one's position you have to improve and I had to do that and I did that so that was that was the proudest part of my career in that seven years was knowing that I improved every year. Yet while the Scotsman's remarkable achievements on the European Tour and Ryder Cup were unparalleled major success eluded him. Three runners-up throughout the 90s in the United States in major championships including two playoff losses were all close calls. But Montgomery only recorded one top 10 in the Open Championship throughout his decade of European dominance. A tied 8th finish at Turnbury in 1994, the course that played a large part in Montgomery turning professional, was the only notable finish for the Scotsman prior to the turn of the millennium. Monty was still yet to experience the thrill of contention at the Open. But in 2001, that was about to change as Monty turned up for the 130th Open at Royal Lytham and St. Anne's. Yeah, it's one of these, one of these rounds, you know, I got, got great support, fantastic support. Uh, the British crowd's fantastic with me over my career. And uh, I'd say, you know, especially 2001 and 2005, but 2001 was superb. No, if, if he was looking for encouragement, he would find it here. The first round, I mean, didn't really think much of it. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say I was playing that well coming into it, but I w- it was okay. I think I'd won the Irish Open and, I, you know, that were these things again and, 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 you know, and that sort of stuff and came in there playing OK. And it was a very easy first round. So frequently dealing with less than stellar starts at the Open, 2001 was different. Now, personally, Alex, I know you're a Scotsman, but I would love to see Monty win. I think uh, seven times moneyless champion is one thing, but this is what he really needs. Well, there's certainly been less fuss and hullabaloo about him this time. It might be the time to make the move, and that's the sort of tee shot that you would hope for. It's almost perfect in distance, and just allowed a little more for the left to right breeze than was necessary, but that's a nice start for Colin. 
What do you think he needs to do, Mark? I think he needs to probably wear earplugs at times so he doesn't hear a lot of the comments around. But... Yes, I think he's uh, probably gets a bit tiresome to him all the you haven't won a major stuff. Now, Monty, on the first for birdie. Starting on the par three first hole, Montgomery raced out of the blocks. Great start there for Montgomery. So come on, Monty. On the par four second, a chance for a second birdie. Great start, Monty. When reaching the par five sixth hole, Monty lay at one under par, facing a chip for eagle. Obviously now needs a That's a nice chip for Monty. Well, that was a fizzle, wasn't it? Because he was a little disappointed with his second. He's duly tough to say, very difficult to keep it on the green. All ends in smiles, that's an eagle three. More good play was to follow on the eighth hole. Montgomery now on eight. Safely down the fairway for Monty. Colin Montgomery at the eighth. Second shot nearly left. Right hole, got a tremendous amount of stop on it. Now, Colin Montgomery. Three under par. Birdie bird. And Colin Montgomery is joint leader with Brad Faxon. Now on the par three ninth, Monty had a chance to turn in 30 strokes. But he didn't wait to be given it, he's taken it, and that puts Colin Montgomery right in the driving seat at five under. Just a one-shot lead at the moment, but it could easily be two in a moment or two. Out in 30, that's something. Lytham is very difficult if you miss the fairway. It's, a, it's, it's one of the strictest driving courses we have on the, on the open rotor in that it's bunkered extremely well off the tee. And I drove the ball particularly well. He's been hitting the ball low, getting a huge amount of run on it. Coming back into the wind now, though, and this is a much more difficult shot, threading it through the eye of a needle. And that needle, Julian refers to, is a very large bunker on the left. There it is to the right of your picture, and another one on the right hand, and he has threaded it perfectly through. And didn't find, because I'd driven it well, I didn't find it that difficult, because I was in position A, playing into the green. Colin seems very relaxed out there today, doesn't he, Peter? He does, yes. I think he's got a great opportunity of uh, winning the championship this week if uh, he, he's got his driving in top gear. Montgomery continued to press forward this time on the 10th. Now Colin Montgomery could extend his lead here, down from the slope is sort of down towards the cup, so it'll run freely enough, but like that, could keep going. Yes, it does. Oh, Montgomery gets, gets cracking. He's got his tail up, he's six under par, and he's leading by three. How long have we dreamed of that? If you turn up here tomorrow and have killed Alex off, I'll refuse to work with you. While the back nine proved less than smooth sailing from the 10th onwards, important putts for par on the 11th, 16th and 17th kept Monty in the lead at 5-under. This would be another good escape. He said it too far right. No, he hasn't. He did the wall of death. I thought the right half would have been the line. He made it on right lip and he was, well, he's in anyway. And that's a good up and down once again. He's had lots of up and downs. And he's five under. All this before a grandstand finish. Well, there's no greater atmosphere in golf than walking up the 18th fairway of the Open Championship with the grandstands packed. Now our championship leader, Montgomery, for one last birdie.
smiley over even your face there, Alex. No, a big smile on my face. It doesn't happen a lot, Peter Alice tells me, but I can tell you, in this man's case, there's no one we would want to win this championship more than, than him. He's, uh, he's suffered an awful lot of uh, <laughs> slings and arrows, but he's got the game and everybody knows that. And as a front runner, he's also very good as well. So that's, that's encouraging for the rest of this week. Shot 65, six under, and found myself three ahead, which is rare after one day to find yourself three ahead. It usually takes a few days to get into that position, but not after one. So I'm thinking, hang on, I went to bed that night thinking, hang on a minute, is this, is this, this could be, if I, if I drive the ball as well as I did, I didn't really feel any pressure or anything. I just pl played around a golf. It wasn't, you know, a bird of the last and thank you very much. On a tough day, Monty had taken a three-shot lead with a 65 at Lytham. This was his best chance yet in the Open, and the crowds were out in force to support the Scotsman on day two. But the atmosphere around here is quite incredible. I don't think I've ever known a crowd to be quite so much on the side of one player. They were just willing it into the hole. And then as the pressure gets tighter, I suppose, I was still leading after the second round. But that's uh, not bad. It's a round of 70. That's one under par today. And they've seen the net, off they go. I, I sort of got a bit tense, I suppose, and didn't really play the way I did in the first round, which was with more freedom. Although not quite as impressive as Thursday, Montgomery still held the lead on Saturday morning. From there, however, things got trickier. He's getting a little bit of a push-me-pull-you with his putting stroke as well. Out in 37, a couple over. That's a mad thing about this whole situation with Monty. Look at that, no birdies, two bogeys. The guy's led the money list seven times, so his, his pedigree's not in question. It's just he hasn't done it in these big ones. Um, a little bit of tension came in. Of course, the competition were beginning to sort of pile up behind. And uh, I didn't drive the ball well in the third day and got into trouble off the tee. And I found how difficult the course was. I found everyone else's difficulty eventually. Uh, you can't drive the ball the way I did the first day all the time. After a third round of 73 on Saturday, Montgomery still was just one shot off the lead heading into the final day. But among a clustered leaderboard on Sunday, the crowd favourite soon faded out of contention. What looked like Colin's week in golf's original major had fizzled out. There wasn't even a top 10 to show for it, with a tie for 12th, the final result. Time to do for Colin. Just another time to slip by. So near and not so far. Maybe it was all that. Maybe it was all that just was not to be. I just didn't score, unfortunately, Saturday or Sunday, and and uh, and finished down. But it gave me it gave me an idea of uh, or a, a, a signal that I can do this at the Open. There's nothing wrong with my game. I can I can do this, provided stay out the fairway bunkers, which is a key in Lynx golf, and also hold a few putts at the right time. And and that's what I did the first couple of days. I just didn't continue it over the weekend, unfortunately. Want to keep up to date with the latest news on the Open podcasts, as well as enjoying films, articles, quizzes, and much more? Get the Open app today. 
to experience the greatest stories in golf all year round. In late 2003 and early 2004, a rare dip in form during Monty's distinguished career led to him falling outside of the world's top 50 for the first time in 13 years. Prior to this lull, from 1993 to 2003, the Scotsman had spent nearly 400 weeks inside the world's top 10 and had been ranked as the world's second best player for prolonged periods. In mid-2004, now ranked outside the world's top 70, Monty was struggling to get into the Open Championship at his local club, Royal Troon. By going through qualifying, however, inspired to play at his spiritual home, the then 41-year-old found a spark that helped recapture his form of the previous decade. The crowds that week helped provide an even greater lift to Monty's spirits. Oh, well, you, oh, you do in 2004. You do at Troon, I can tell you. Uh, you know, you talk about support. My God, you know, all the neighbours were out. Never mind, <laughs> never mind. Uh, you know, God, I was living there. Colin Montgomery with a chance of a birdie at the seventh. What a timely birdie, four under. That was the roar we heard from Phil Mickelson. A little bit of confusion with the cameraman there. And it was that that we heard. Fantastic for Monty. Yeah, you know, I remember every shot I hit there. And, and, and again, just a little bit at the end there, which, which you know, the competition, Els and Todd Hamilton, you know, came, came good at the end. Uh, I was going well. I was in contention, but I was on the verge of contention there. While Monty could never challenge for the title at the 133rd Open, his Saturday play featured some incredible shots, keeping him just a few shots off the lead before eventually recording a top 25 finish later the next day. While the finish wasn't as high as Montgomery would have liked, There was no doubt that his bunker save on the 13th hole in round three from a horrific lie was one of the finest escapes you could ever imagine. An escape that sent the local support into raptures. Oh, this is an awful spot for Montgomery. You can't quite see the lie, he's sort of aiming towards the greens. Big steep lip. Oh, Colin, brilliant, brilliant. Oh, loves high drama. Great shot, Monty. <laughs> Brilliant shot, unbelievable. I'll take the shoe full of sand. I would have shot like that, he says. Maybe the shot of the day, I would say. Come on, Sebi, what's he thinking? Well, I was thinking that, uh, oh, God, how can, can I come out of this situation? I think he did it very well. He did very well, very well. Absolutely fantastic shot. He uh, was absolutely dead, plugged under the far side lip. I did it as hard as he can. He now just made an amazing pop up. So that is three great pars on the top. Again, gave me some confidence. Whether it was at Trun or whether it was at Turnbury, wherever, wherever it was, gave me again this this feeling of I can do this because, as you said, there was a slight dip in form in 2004. And, uh, you know, it was the only time that I needed picked in the Ryder Cup. Uh, of the eight, I was, I was picked by Bernard Langer. And uh, so, yes, that proves there was a, there was a dip in form. I, I wasn't in the top ten in Europe for the first time, you know, for a long time. And, and uh, so, yeah, there was something wrong. But at the same time, the Open gave me a bit of confidence and a bit of boost. And come on, we can do this. And played OK at the Ryder Cup in 2004 and uh, got me going thinking, okay, forget this dip, let's get going in 2005 again. The following year in 2005, Monty was playing much better, contending once more for an eighth order of merit title. Arriving at St Andrews for the 134th Open that year, the Scot was hoping for great things, as were the crowds. The Open Championship 2005, I'll... I will never forget. I'll take that to my dying day. Uh, the crowd were just incredible. A 
still grey morning and uh, the Open Championship, the 134th Open Championship prepares to get underway. Yet it wasn't quite the ideal start. This is game number 15 on a tee from Scotland, Colin Montgomery. Now the first shot I hit in that Open in 2005, I pulled it and it ran and ran and ran and ran into the berm. Colin booms away with a, a little bit of a lofted wood, a three wood. One of the widest landing grounds in golf. Monty finds the Swirkin burn. So not the best possible start for his challenge. Now, that, for people that have played the old course, you think, what are you doing? You've missed the fairway. I've officially missed the fairway at the first. And you can't do that. All right, Colin Montgomery. In trouble, off the tee. Drops out. And played his third there, and he will now drop a shot. So not the best of starts, but it's a 72-hole tournament. Plenty of opportunities out there for him, as long as he just keeps patient and moves forward. Got on the green, two-putted, made five, and thought, oh, this is ridiculous. They're all making threes at the first. Shot 71, which was average. And... uh, Finished about 30th the first day. And then I got going the second day. Now I am in contention now. I'm in right in contention now. And I'm doing okay. After the first day, Montgomery found himself five shots behind Tiger Woods' first round lead. But on the Friday, a day famous as Jack Nicklaus's last ever round in a major championship, Montgomery caught fire. The round was what you would call, however, a slow burn. It was interesting... uh David Toms and Paul Laurie I was playing with the first two days and David Toms had to pull out it was only Paul Laurie and I and uh, so it was slow it was very slow and in fact it was even slower because Jack Nicholas was finishing his open career and about two hours ahead of us he was standing on the on the bridge on the Swilkin Bridge at the last and we were on the 11th tee or 12th tee not a dry eye where we are in this college position. We're looking right through here and there's a lot of well-known people in here and we're all a bit... How you going? But a wonderful moment. The final stroke in Jack Nicklaus's open career. Hold the puck for us, Jack. Listen to the roar of he does. Yes! yes! The sort of siren went as if it was a sort of delay, and we all sat down. It was, it was, it was actually, thank God it wasn't raining. It was a lovely day. And we sat down on the side of the 12th. Now, being a two ball, we were, we were quicker than the three balls, so we were slow and we were having to wait anyway. So on the 12th, we just sat down for a good half an hour until all the pictures and all the carry on had happened with Jack Nicholas leaving the open uh, and walking up the 18th fairway. And, uh, so we sort of, sort of got on with it. And it was, it was a strange feeling. It was like, well, we're not really playing in the open here. We're just having a two ball, you know? And I'd known Paul for many, many years, obviously. I mean, we, we, just, we, just, we just played, played around a golf. After a short break at the 12th, Montgomery continued to press forward. And by the time he reached the par four 15th hole, he faced a putt to get to five under for his day and six under for the championship. Monte for birdie at 15 to get to six under. Listen to the roar of this one drops. I was going to say Paul Laurie, the last European to win the Open, a Scot in Scotland in 1999. And they'd love Monte to do it just as Paul Laurie did. Now on the 18th green, Montgomery faced a putt to shoot 66, reach seven under par and secure a place in the final group on Saturday with Tiger Woods. He said afterwards, in 20 years of playing the old course, I've never been anywhere near the Swilkin Burn before. I've no idea where that came from. Wasn't exactly the start he wanted to his Open Championship, but uh, I think you can say he's recovered pretty well. Well, he's five under for his round today. There's this bad for a 66. Let's hope for a three. A 
perfect ending to the day for the Scottish fans. They've bowed their farewells to Jack Nicholas, and they've seen Colin Montgomery finish with a birdie and a wonderful round of 66. So there was no nervousness, there was no feeling of the open or something, and hey presto, you birdie the last and you shoot 66. And you go, okay, that's all right. So it got me into, into a position where I could, I could, I was contending now. I was in second place. A brilliant round ensured the third round pairing of Woods and Montgomery was a headline act not to be missed. Although Woods held a four-stroke lead over Montgomery and the rest of the field, the anticipation was immense. And sure enough, the Open's fans were out in force on Saturday. And therefore, you know, the three o'clock start time on Saturday comes out, Montgomery, Woods, okay, well, this will be interesting. And I couldn't believe uh, on the Saturday the crowd support. Now, Woods normally gets the crowd behind him world's favourite favourite golfer at the time but not in Scotland on that Saturday <laughs> for the first time in my life I was and uh, God the Scottish flags flying the, the Union Jacks it was it was quite incredible this is grand for, for Colin Montgomery to see him back centre stage uh, seven times winner of the European Order of Merit and then all sorts of things happened he slipped down, struggled this year to get himself to 50th in the order of merit of the world to get into majors. Here we Ladies go. and gentlemen, this is the final game of the afternoon on the from Scotland. Colin Montgomery. And spurring me on. His first two shots were amazing. He finished in the short and long with a man who just kept running at a bad bounce. Left. And he ran into the ground. But no mistake there. On a tee from USA, Tiger Woods. So much expected. This still young man, just 28 years old, and already nine times a major winner. Crisp as ever, and a good start. To the stage where, at the ninth, he made a mistake at the ninth, he drove into a bush at the ninth. Using his driver a few holes ago proved a little bit costly, but... No, wait a minute. Another goss bush. Yes, another goss bush. He got it swinging right to left. Okay, went with the wind. That's uh, remarkable. Another mistake. And he wasn't playing well. He was. He was a bit uptight. He wasn't himself. And I think the crowd were, I wouldn't say getting to him, but he certainly wasn't favoured that particular day. And I'd caught him by the by the turn. Now this for a, a three. for him, so Monty, another birdie, Woods now to save par. Unfortunately, coming back home into the wind, he had a great advantage on everybody. Coming in there, St Andrews is difficult coming home into the wind. And I'm sure I speak for everyone that's listening, have played those holes into the wind. Tiger, Tiger could fly bunkers that I couldn't do, and he was and he was favoured then and got back to his three-shot lead, I believe. But for half that round and for the coming in, I'll never forget it. Although on the back nine, 
Woods would capitalise on difficult conditions to re-establish his lead. The pair came to the 18th hole again, just three shots apart. And playing the last hole, uh, it, was down, it was down out the right at the last and we were both pin high left. Well, didn't I putted first and left my shot 30 foot short. I mean, it was a terrible, terrible effort. It's a heavy putter, I know, because he didn't look as if he'd hit it hard enough, and he certainly hasn't. When we've seen people coming in from the, that side, we've seen some of the biggest swings, and that can, under the pressure, I can understand, but it was a poor part. Tiger hit his and, of course, hit it stiff. And I've got this. I've got this putt. I think it was... Never forget it. I think I've got this putt to beat him. It was a 30-footer, left to right. We want Monty to hold this one, and the crowd certainly do. This would get him to nine under, three behind. Anyway, started off its journey left, and I hit it firm enough, and it was coming in, coming in, swinging in, and that green has a lot of slope on it. And, uh, my God, it went in. That's a beautiful part. They almost turned around, which is a ridiculous thing to say. It was only one putt, but I think had he walked up with only a four, he'd have been a little bit disappointed about all. But suddenly it's a birdie, he's back to nine under, he's only three behind, he's actually made inroads into Tiger Woods' lead. I'll never forget I'll never forget the roar until and you know, I mean incredible. The whole town around the amphitheatre of the 18th at St Andrews is quite unique in every way. And uh, my 70 to his 71 was something that I'll uh, always take away. To beat Wood's score by one was certainly memorable, but it also gave Monty a chance on the Sunday, lying just three shots behind Tiger and in third place in the championship. Playing in the penultimate group, Monty again got off to a good start with a birdie on the third. One of your countrymen, Alex Colin Montgomery. This for a birdie. On number three to go ten under par, tracking yeah. in. I think there's a lot of my countrymen here. It gives you that idea. <laughs> After a superb drive on the ninth hole, Montgomery found himself with an eagle putt to tie Woods at 13 under par and grab a share of the lead heading into the back nine. It's Colin to putt. He's got this for an eagle to tie the lead. Good pace. <sighs> Give it every chance, Doogie. He certainly did have a point of a shot with that. Nice free hit. Well, he's closed within one shot. Well done. An unfortunate bogey on the following hole saw Monty drop back for a bogey on the 13th all but ended the Scotsman's chances of achieving his dream, as Woods produced some trademark brilliance in the game behind. As he finished out in the 134th Open, however, the Open's crowds once again reminded one of Scotland's favourite sons of just how popular he is. Well done. Well done. A nice four. Well done, Colin A few slip-ups on the way home, but out there at the 10th and 11th hole, he was really challenging Tiger Woods, and he knows he gave it his best shot out there. In the end, a 9-under par total proved good enough for Montgomery to take solo second position, his best-ever finish in the Open, and his fourth runner-up finish in major championships. Something I'll take away from the game of golf. Okay, I didn't beat him. I finished second in that Open in 2005. And uh, as you say, after the dip in 2004, to come back and win the Order of Merit in 2005 was possibly my greatest achievement. Uh, But it all stemmed from the Open Championship 2005. I, yeah, I love the support and I thank them to this day uh, for trying their damnedest to get me over the line. And it didn't happen. I just came up against... 
got a beat 154 other uh, other ones, but not him. He was the he was the best at the time, and and uh, has continued to be so. The winner of the gold medal and the champion golfer of the year is Tiger Woods. Later that year, the 42-year-old cemented his legacy further, adding an eighth Order of Merit title to his record. Only Ballesteros, with his six titles, has won more than four. But the one missing piece in Montgomery's career was a major championship. In 2006, he would add a fifth runner-up to that unfortunate statistic, losing the US Open on the 72nd hole at winged foot in what was perhaps his best chance of all. Later that year, Montgomery played in his eighth and final Ryder Cup, again a part of the winning team. In doing so, he maintained one of the most impressive records in Ryder Cup history as he won his singles match, ensuring an undefeated record in Ryder Cup singles play. In 2007, Monty recorded his last win on the European Tour at the Smurfit European Open, his 31st overall, before having great success as a winning Ryder Cup captain in 2010 and on the Champions Tour since 2013, winning three senior majors in that time. But for all of Monty's success, one of his greatest achievements came in 2016. Having not played in the Open since 2010, after making 21 successive appearances from his debut in 1990, the then 53-year-old decided to attempt Open qualifying as the 145th Open returned to his home club of Royal Troon. Extremely fortunate not to have any particular dips or whatever the case may be to play 21 straight Opens uh, was a delight. And I missed it so much that in 2016 I tried to qualify again, you know. At 53, I, uh, I tried to qualify uh, because it was Raw Troon. Uh, I wasn't exempt anymore. My exemption had run out a few years before. And I thought, well, come on, I'll give it a go, you know. So I managed to get into the final qualifying. Um, my world ranking was low, but it wasn't that low that I could get into the final qualifying. Turned up at, we call it Western uh, uh, Glasgow Gales, n- next door to Western Gales, uh, but it's now just called the Gales, just north of Trun. Uh, about five miles north of Trun, and it was the final qualifying, two, two days. Now, I'm playing now with Euro Pro guys, uh, Challenge Tour guys, European Tour guys, uh, Americans that have come over trying to qualify. And so I'm the oldest in the field, right? So let's get that for number one. I'm the oldest in the field. I've, I've, I've got my compression socks on because it's 36 holes, you know, so I've got to get the legs warm, got to get going. Started out great, you know, 66. So I got myself in a position, and there's only three people do it out of 100 and... I think there's just over 100 potential qualifiers, and only three make it, three get in. So I thought, oh, God. And there's always one or two guys that run away with it. There was a Swedish guy, and he was 12 under early on, so he was he, he was one of them. So now there's only two to go, you know? It's, it's, it's tight. I had to watch what I was doing. So I had a quick lunch and get off to the tee again, 66. And now the members have come out. There's a there's quite a furore about me trying to qualify for the Open at Rotary. Anyway, just, I didn't play that well. I remember, it, I think it was the 14th hole, the par three. I missed the green on the right, plugged. I got over the back of the green, chipped up to about 15 foot, and I needed this. I needed this to, to, to right the ship. It was sinking, you know? And it went in, and I think I parred in to make it by one. I was third place. I think I was overtaken by someone else. I didn't care. I was just trying to get into that top three and I made it. And it was one of the one of the best feelings, you know, I've had at 53 years old to 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 qualify for an open. You know, 53 years old, yes, you can play in the open because you've passed winner. But to qualify for it was a big deal to me, especially where it was held. Now it's my home club. Uh very few people have the opportunity of playing at the home club. And here's me. I hadn't done it since 2004. The Open hadn't been there. And this was 2016. And uh, here we are. Here we go. After qualifying, 
Monty helped begin a new tradition of early starters on Thursday mornings. Martin Slumbers, the chief executive of the RNA, uh, came to me and he said, I've got an idea about your start time, you see. We're thinking about starting something whereby the likes of yourself would start the open, hit the first shot, 6.35 in the morning, I'll have you know. And I said, well, that would be a great honour. And it's, and it's continued. Uh, I think Mark Amira did it in 17. I think Sandy Lyle did it in 18. Darren Clark did it in 19, I think. And I think it's quite a, quite a good addition to the Open. Almost ready to go for the 145th Open. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Roll Troon for the first day's play of the 145th Open Championship. This is game number one on the tee from Scotland. Colin Montgomery. So, uh, yeah, 6.35 in the morning, we start off. Looking a little anxious, but it's 250 yards to the bunker down the left-hand side. While Monty's opening shot was a great honour, his first hole certainly didn't go to plan. I've played that first hole a number of times. I've played that first hole over a hundred times. I've never probably taken a five, never mind take a six. Oh my God, you know, I'll never forget it. And it was, it was a good up and down for a six too. I'd plugged it in the front bunker. Looks like he's about ready to go. Oh no, what a shame. Back into his footmark. Well, it's a good up and down in the end. Well, that is not the start, obviously, that Colin Montgomery was looking for. Thinking this is this will be a long day. Uh, I think my dad and brother, I think they went back to bed. I think they were watching. They went back to bed. They'd given up. But Monty bounced back and recorded three birdies in the next six holes. Large crowds already. A lot of them have come out to watch Monty in Possibly could be his last open. We won't write him off yet, but this is for birdie. Get there. Yes. He then teed up on the postage stamp, the eighth. 120 yards. Fantastic shot. It's always nice when you see the ball on this putting surface. Side right lip firm. Well, it wasn't firm, but it had the right line. And Conor Montgomery moves to two under par after starting with a double bogey six. And then on the ninth, almost miraculously, the 53-year-old took his last Open Championship lead to date with a beautiful birdie, his fifth in eight holes. Birdie putt for Colin Montgomery for get into a tie for the lead. Yes, three under par. Five birdies. After double bogeying the first hole. Getting up at 6.35 this morning. The on, Almost the honorary starter. First player to hit a, a shot in the Open Championship this year. In fact, by the time I got to the turn, I had five birdies by the time I got to the turn and was leading. The only reason I was leading was because I was out first. But uh, I birdied eight and nine to get out and three under. After contending with the strong back nine at Troon, Monty's work added up to a 71 and helped him make the cut in the 145th Open. Made the cut, which was thrilling for me, uh, and uh, come down the last with the stands full and Sunday's great. But it was, it, was more, it was more the qualifying. It was more the getting into it than it was the Open itself. It was more the qualifying that, that, that excited me, thinking I could do it, you know. Now 57 years of age, Colin still dreams that maybe one day he could play in the Open again. And when the 150th Open at St Andrews next year rolls round, Montgomery will be 59 years old, a famous age for a certain champion golfer of the year. Tom Watson should have won that Open. And you speak to him now, saw him in Hawaii, and he's, he's talking about Trun because he sees me and talks about Trun. And 
having 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 won there in eighty two and then down the road at Turnbury, how he didn't win, you know. But fifty nine, you never know. If it's a running fast course and you drive the ball well and hold some putts, yes, you can. You can get into a position where you can contend, whatever age you are. Uh, so yeah, uh, hey, why not try it again? Which would be thirty odd years now since I tried to qualify for the first time to try and do it again. I might well do it. I might well try it when it comes back to St Andrews in what two thousand twenty two now when I'm fifty nine. I might just try it once more, once more. Just keep that quiet. <laughs> With 54 professional victories, eight Ryder Cup appearances, eight Order of Merit titles, and exactly 400 weeks spent in the world's top 10, Montgomery has had a marvellous career, full of records, some of which border on unbreakable. Even the unfortunate statistic of five major championship runners up is itself a record, with no player ever achieving as many without taking one of golf's top prizes. If you wrote down a resume, you know, of mine and you, and you say the order of merit and you say the wins and you say the, the, the Ryder Cups and all the stuff and you go, well, 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 where's the majors, you know? Five runners up in majors. Is it a disappointment? Yes, it's a disappointment. Do I regret any of them? Yes, one. I'm very fortunate in my career what I've achieved and I'll take everything, everything with me. Uh, I don't... I don't uh, uh, feel any regret not having won a major. Yes, I made a mistake in 2006 at the US Open. That was the one that got away. The other four that I'd finished runner-up in, somebody beat me. So, okay, hands up and shake their hand and say, well played. That hurts the most, but at the same time, would I change anything? No, no, I'm very proud of the career that I've had. You've got to get lucky in in a major. You know, I've never stood up and made a winner's speech and said I was unlucky. It just never quite happened right at the end for me. Regret? No. No, I don't have regret. I'm very proud of what I've achieved. By many accounts, the greatest player never to win a major, Colin Montgomery's record in his home championship, the Open, was not up to his otherwise lofty standards. But thanks to memories from 2005 and 2016 and Montgomery's unique relationship with an open venue like Royal Troon, the popular Scotsman, known as Monty, who could easily have ended up in a different career entirely, gave to the Open moments that will live long in the memory, not just of his own, but also of those fans to whom he has brought so much joy indeed. The Open uh, is it. It's, it's the most natural. It's the one that everybody wants on a resume and that's why it attracts the field that it does you know everyone travels around the world the qualifying now is taking place in Asia taking place in Australia uh, uh, in the southern hemispheres uh, in America everybody wants to play the Open and uh, yeah coming from and, and belonging to an Open venue is very unique there's not many of them and uh, being a member and a, and a very proud honorary member of Royal Troon Golf Club, that uh, it means the most to me. And uh, I only wish that my record in the Open was better than it was. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not getting picky here, don't get me wrong, but if I was ever to win a major in my next life, uh, it, would be, it would be the Open. The Open would be number one and always would be. with thanks to Colin Montgomery. Narrated by me, Shane O'Donoghue. Written, produced and edited by Chris Lewis. Executive produced by Paul Sutcliffe. Additional support by Chris Devine and Liam Allen. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Tales of the Open. Coming up next week on The Open Podcasts. He looks like he's taking a fairly brave line and shot. Oh, it looks like he's got a fair bit of loft. I don't think he's being silly. I mean, if he gets it out with a 9-iron or a wedge, 100, 110, whatever yards down the fairway, he's got another one probably onto the green and, and a, a putt for a four. If he hits the bank and stays in the bunker, it's finished, it's over. Yeah, and the wind was kind of down and out the right, and uh, I, knew it was the only, I knew the only way I was going to get it on the green was to hit like a 
big slinging hook out of the bunker and bring it on the wind. And Billy didn't think there was any way I was going to get it on the green, and I chased it on there about ten yards on the on the green. I think five to ten yards on the green. So I think that's probably the best shot. Best shot, certainly under the circumstances, probably the best shot I've ever hit. Yeah. If you've enjoyed our Tales of the Open podcasts, head to the Open's YouTube channel today to enjoy reimagined video versions of several episodes, which combine audio descriptions of memorable Open moments with archive championship footage. This has been an original audio production from the Open.